we've been on this series, this series entitled, This Is What We Do. This is what we do. And you know, if there's one of the things that we as believers do is we are a conduit to convey the love of God. And you know, I love the, the, that, that little, uh, that little uh, uh, lyric there in the song where it says, only love can heal the brokenhearted. And you know, and only the love of God can do that. But check this out. God can't do that independent of you, of me, of us. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God does exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And people get excited about that. And then they miss the most important part of that scripture, according to the work in you. And so there's a great work that God has done in each and every one of us. There's a great love that has been expressed towards us. And that can, that's the, the impact that God wants to make in this life. And so I, I want to read to you a story that I came across uh, recently, uh, just something to kind of illustrate this point here. It goes like this. It says, a number of years back, a young and very successful executive was traveling down a suburban street in his brand new black Jaguar. Suddenly, a brick was thrown from the sidewalk, thumping into the side of his car. Brakes slammed, gears ground into reverse, and tires uh, madly spun the Jaguar back to the spot where the brick had been thrown. The driver jumped out, grabbed the kid who had thrown the brick by the neck, pushed him up against the parked car, and yelled at him, what was that all about? That's my new Jag. That brick you threw is going to cost you a whole lot of money. The kid responds, please, mister, please, please, you don't understand, I'm sorry. I didn't know what else to do, pleaded the youngster. I threw the brick because no one else would stop as I yelled as they passed by. Tears were dripping down the boy's chin at this point as he pointed around the parked car. It's my brother, mister, it's my brother. He rolled off the curb and fell out of his wheelchair and I can't lift him up. He's bleeding and he's crying. Sobbing, the boy asked the executive, would you please help me get him back into his wheelchair? He's hurt and he's too heavy for me to pick him up. The mood immediately transformed and in a moment, uh, in a moment as the young executive realized what had occurred, he lifted the young man into the wheelchair and took out his handkerchief and wiped his uh, scrapes and cuts and tears. And then he watched as the younger brother pushed him down the sidewalk toward their home. The younger executive never did fix that dented side door of his Jaguar. He kept the dent to remind him not to go through life so fast that someone who needs help has to throw a brick to get his attention. You know, while this story's fictional, it's very telling of the world that we live in today. But you know what else it's very telling of? Of the world that we live in today amongst many believers. And so my, my goal today is not to uh, nail anybody to a cross, so to speak. Please don't hear this sermon that way. But I want you, as you hear the word today, to really consider the impact that God has made in your life through Christ and how that impact is meant to impact others. And so uh, you may not be speeding by as uh, someone who's fallen out of a wheelchair on a street corner, but if you just take a moment to slow down, just to slow down in life, here's what I can guarantee you. There's always somebody in need of what God has done in you. Always. There's an impact that God has made upon your life. Would we agree? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Okay, all right. That, that's, that's practically all of you. Good. Well, God has done something amazing in your life. But that has to be conveyed into this world. I remember uh, hearing an uh, evangelist once make this statement. He says, if you're going to pray for revival, 
He says, don't pray for revival in your church. Go home, draw a three-foot circle around you, and pray for revival to hit there first. Whatever God wants to do in this world starts with you and me and us. It starts with the I. And so in life, there are things that we, we do that have kind of become second nature. And this whole series about this is what we do is talking about things that we as believers should know to do that should become second nature to us as we practice them and as we take the word of God at its worth. And so today I want to talk to you about we impact the world around us. This is what we do, ladies and gentlemen. We impact the world around us. If you're praying for God to change something in your home, if you're praying for God to change a community, if you're praying for God to change the people in your workplace, if you're praying for a difference to be made, just know that before you pray that, you should be looking at the solution in you. God has ordained you. He's called you. He's done a good work in you. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Whether you know it or not, you're the impact that God wants to make in this world. You are the impact that God wants to make in this world. You might look at yourself and say, well, I don't have enough education. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't, uh, I don't have, uh, you know, I haven't been a Christian very long. None of that has anything to do with what God wants to do through you. Do you know that you are God's very best right now as a new creation in Christ? Everything that God was going to do, he already did it in you. The question is, are we discovering that? Are we growing into that? Are we, are we learning that and are we applying it? And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, reading from verses uh, 14 through 21, we read this. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. This is Paul speaking about the impact that God has had upon them. In verse 15, he says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Chew on that for a moment. But for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, that is, that God who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's, let's, let's uh, unpack this scripture for a second. If I were to ask you today, how has God impacted you? I can guarantee you that the answers would range from everything. Uh, he physically healed me to he's uh, 
healed my emotions. He's changed my life around. Um, I see life differently. My home has been restored. My marriage is renewed. Uh, my relationships have changed. Um, I'm blessed. I'm progressing. All these things, and while all these things are good and true, if all they are is contained within you, the impact that God made in you is limited. Think of it this way. You are your own limit. To the extent that you believe that God can work through you is the extent to which you'll see God work through you. That makes sense? And so we ourselves can limit the very hand of God. And I know some of you are going, whoa, whoa, I don't know about that. We might want to get out of this church at this point. But I want you to think about this. And I didn't even put this scripture up. Uh, Psalm 78, 41 talks about how the Israelites vexed the Holy One of God. And what it's literally saying in the original language is that they limited God by their unbelief. And so we can literally limit the very power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in you and I or that is desiring to live you in you and I if you don't know Christ today. We can limit that simply by our unbelief and our lack of initiative to take a step forward and let God impact this world. It's interesting, but Paul talks in verse 14, he says that, uh, the, that, that God, that this love that they've come to know compels them. My question is, compelled them to what? What did it compel them to? Uh, their lives were so impacted to such an extent that they could not help themselves but to share this love, to give this love, to serve according to this love, to live life this way. That's one of the reasons why I wore this t-shirt today, because I'd much rather have a t-shirt that has a, has a logo. I'd much rather have a t-shirt that has a message that says something about the gospel than simply just our logo. So I just wanted to share it today. By the way, this is not a promo for you to go buy a t-shirt. Don't take it that way. But I want you to really understand that this is the S that we wear on our chest. This is the hero in you. He loves the lost. He loves the world. He loves the hurting. He gave his life. He came not, as, not, not, as, uh, uh, not, not to be served, but to serve is what Jesus said. This is the manner in which Jesus lived. And ladies and gentlemen, this is what we do. We impact the world around us because we love like God loves. We give like God gives. We serve like Christ did. And we live this way. Amen? Amen? Now, what's interesting about this is that in verse 16, um, Paul talks about the extent to which this love compelled them and changed them. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Let's put that up again. He says this, therefore, so in other words, in light of what I've just said, he's saying, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Hey, you know what Paul's talking about there? Not only is he talking about Christ and how we no longer see him as just in human form, but he's also talking about the way we see as believers. And there's one thing that's very powerful that we all have to grasp, that when you look at someone, you've got to look beyond just what you see going on in their life. We've got to see them beyond their hangups, their hurts. We've got to see them beyond their shortcomings. We have to see people beyond uh, uh, their, their issues and their challenges. 
Paul is literally saying, we have come into such an experience with this love that it compels us that when we see people, we don't even see them according to what they, where they're failing. What we see is God loves them. That's a different kind of way to see people. I, I recall one time uh, there was a, uh, a gentleman and his wife that uh, came here for a bit. And uh, their family, uh, you know, they lived in, in the area and they had started coming to the church. And they were growing and they were, you know, they had been through some challenges. You know, like the first time I met them, it was kind of like, you know, like a baby when you take them and they're all cute and then just go, and they hurl on you. Well, it was kind of one of those when I first met them. They were like, you don't understand my past and you don't understand what I'm going through and, you know, my addiction and this. And I said, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. God loves you. Let's start there. And so we saw them in a very short period of time where they would come here and they went from deer in headlights because this was completely news. Like, wait, people are singing. People are raising their hands. Um, people are crying. What is going on here? Right? So slowly but surely you began to see them kind of just do one of these. And then it, it went like this. And then it was just like kind of like raising their hands like this. And before you know it, they're praying and they're crying, and they're growing, and they're getting connected. But here's what was going on when they would leave here. They would go back home, and their family would belittle them. Believers. A family of believers. Oh, what, you're going outside to get a drink? Oh, don't touch my stuff, because you know I know about you already in your sticky hands. And so they went through this over a period of time. And then they left. They didn't leave because they didn't feel welcome. They didn't leave because the word wasn't impacting them because we saw that happening in their lives. They left because there were believers who acted like they didn't believe. See, love is synonymous with the truth of God's word. Without an expression of God's love flowing through our lives, you could say you believe the truth all you want, but truth is revealed. And so, very interesting, in verses 18 through 20, Paul begins to talk about how we've been reconciled to God. That word reconciled is very interesting because what it literally means is, and I'm just going to read it to you word for word, what it literally means is to change or exchange as coins for an equivalent value and to receive one into favor. So let me give you an example of that. Can I use you, brother? Is that all right? Come on up here real quick. All right, everybody give it up for this brave brother. He's here, he's like, wait a minute, man, I'm, I'm being sucked in. So let me ask you a question. Let's just say that that's your pencil, right? That's your mechanical pencil. And I said, you don't want to buy it from you. And you're not going to be a good Christian and say, oh, I'll just give it to you. You're going to sell it to me. What would you sell it to me for? $20. $20. This guy's a crook, man. <laughs> wait, wait, I forgot. I got to practice. We know no man after this flesh, right? All right, so he says $20, right? Great. $20 is his price. Now, that word reconciled, here's what it illustrates. It illustrates that your price is $20. That's the value you see. And God says, I'll give you a million for it. In other words, the value is determined by God. And so when God reconciles us, thank you. When God reconciles us, here's literally what he's doing. This is what you think you're worth. This is what your past, this is what the sin that you were in, determined that you were worth but here's what i say i paid it all for you 
So literally, now, now we get excited about that because we go, oh man, God loves me and that's great. But in verse 20, he says, you're in, in verse 19, he says, you're ambassadors. And then he goes on to say this, and we've been given the message of reconciliation. So here's what's supposed to happen with this great impact that God has made in your life and in mine, in ours. We're supposed to take that value, that worth, and impact people with the message of the gospel. We're to share, we're to serve, we're to love, we're to meet people right where they are. Because when we do, here's what it does. It begins to raise the, their, their sight, their view of the value that God has of them, and it changes them. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That God loves people irrelevant of where they've been. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. He loved us that much. And so the value, that, the, that value and impact is meant to have a ripple effect into the lives of others. How do we know that? Because the Bible calls you an ambassador. That means that wherever you go, you're the impact that God wants to make. You're it. You're it, baby. Don't look to your right. Don't look to your left. Don't look behind you. Don't look for a pastor. Don't look for a, a, a seasoned Christian. Listen, you are it. Right now, at this very moment, you're it. You're it. Tag. I oh, see my man just tags. Somebody says, tag, you're it. <laughs> right? No, you're it. Listen, you are the solution that God wants to, to use to convey the very love of God, the message of the gospel. Notice I didn't say you're the Christ. I did not say that. But you are just like Christ. And an ambassador comes with the same authority, with the same power as the one that it represents. Hey, that's you. People are looking for solutions in this world. Let's create more programs. Let's get new politicians. Let's change policy. Listen, all those things are fine and dandy. But none of them have the eternal power that the gospel does. None of them have the power that the, that the life-changing impact that God has made in you can have in their lives. You know, I, I get flack sometimes, and you don't know this because I don't share this, but I get flack sometimes from um, other ministries around because it's like you're bringing a water truck. We should be having a prayer service. We should put a tent out and have revival meetings. And we should be praying. And you're going to bring out a water truck? And you're going to set up a slip and slide? And you're going to have free food? What kind of gospel message are you preaching? Check this out. You're going to see this in a second. We're going to go over this in a second. But I'm going to jump ahead of myself and then we'll get back to it. Paul himself says, I became all things to all people that I might win some. That doesn't mean that we compromise. Listen, this city has never seen a 6,000-gallon water truck with a huge slip and slide for free. And food and all this other. Now, I know they've seen some, but we're going we're gonna to use a wow factor, and guess what we're going to do that day? We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to pray for this city, and we're going to declare to them, listen, all this madness that we see going on that we are, we're already expecting for the rest of the summer, this is not what God does. God's will is that we be a community in peace. 
that we know true love and that we work together. You might say, well, you know, that's good for Newburgh. I don't live in Newburgh. I live in Pine Bush. I live in uh, 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 Nanuet, whatever, wherever you're from. Hey, listen, this is just practice for when you get home. This is home base. Listen, we're in the city of Newburgh, so what we do is in the city of Newburgh. But don't be fooled, ladies and gentlemen. These are just opportunities for you to practice your faith so that when you go home, do the same. Get a 6,000-gallon water truck and put it in your block. <laughs> we should probably, hey, Luke, we should probably delete that from the recording that I said that for liability purposes. So let's look at an example from the life of Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And I'm just going to break this down for you real quick. As a matter of fact, let's just read it and I'll just break it down. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 says this, Jesus, I'm sorry, after this there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So let's pause right there. What's going on here? There's a feast of the Jews. You know what that means? It means that there was a religious holiday. So guess what happened in those days when there were religious holidays? All the believers, the Jews, came out in their robes and they, they brought their sacrifices and they rejoiced in what God had done. We don't know what feast it was, but we know that it was a feast. So guess what that means? They had church. And Jesus, we're going to see, shows up in a place where there's a bunch of need. Let's look at verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, Take up your bed and walk. And what you'll find if you read the rest of the story is that immediately, the Bible says in verse 9, this man got up and he walked, right? So let's, let's unpack this. Let's break this down. Here's literally what's going on. There's a church service going on somewhere, right? All these religious people are gathering. And in this place, uh, there are five pools in this temple called uh, 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 this, by the Sheep Gate. There's these pools, and one of them would get stirred up by an angel, and so whoever went into the water first would get healed. So notice that the Bible says that there's a bunch of sick, lame people. There's, a, there's, there's people who have need, and they're all kind of just there waiting for the water to move. They're waiting for the opportunity for their healing to be made manifest. For somebody to carry them into the water and throw them in first before everybody. So literally, you got to imagine that these people are ready to run over each other. They want first dibs. I got to get my healing. And the healer, the healer shows up and nobody knows it. Jesus shows up. Now what's interesting is that in this story, we see that all these people are in need. And Jesus only focuses 
on one. And we have to wonder why, right? And one of the things that I think when I read this is this, that everybody else was depending on somebody. They had somebody to take them to the pool. This guy had no one. And Jesus shows up and he sees him and he asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? Listen to the sermon that Jesus preached. Do you want something different in the situation that you're in? He didn't say, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, and you know, you got to look at Romans 8, 9, and 10. And you know, if you don't confess with your mouth, no, here's the message he preached. Do you want to be made well? You know, sometimes, and please, I mean no disrespect with this, we can be so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good. We forget that people may not be where we are. They may not understand what we understand. And instead of us looking down upon people, what we should do is meet them right there eye to eye. And when we think about people in need, you know, very easily our minds are drawn to the person who's homeless, the person who's hungry, the person who's down and out. But I can guarantee you this. There are people that you walk by, you sit next to, you talk to, you work with, you live with. And their life may look all peaches and cream. But if they ain't got Jesus, they don't have anything. There's an impact that God has made in your life and mine, right? What are we going to do with that? Why not meet people right where they are? Something as simple as, man, I see you're in a tough situation. Man, I, going through a divorce, you know, your, your wife's not trying to talk to you. That's a tough situation. Let me ask you something. Do you think that that's what God wants for your marriage? Do you think that God has something better? Do you think that God can restore? Do you think that God can heal your emotions? You know, I, I've, it's rare when I've met people that I've, that I've said, can I pray for you, that they've said, oh, no, please don't pray for me. I'm fine just as I am. No, listen, you take that step out where somebody's really bearing their heart out to you, they're talking to you, and you meet them eye level. And you, said, you say to them, can I pray for you? Because God's word says that he's, that, that he's near to the brokenhearted. And I know you're brokenhearted, but God loves you. And God wants to intervene in your life. God wants to heal your emotions. God wants to renew your mind. God wants to restore your, your household. God can do it. Look, God, look what God did for me. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people approach it this way. You're going to hell and you need Jesus. And while that's true, how effective is it? A while back, we went to Times Square, um, me and my wife. Uh, actually, it was a while ago. We went January 1st. We went to catch a Broadway show. We were like kids. We went out the whole day. And we get down to the city, and we got there early. So we had breakfast out there. Um, we had lunch out there. We shopped. We did everything, right? And uh, Times Square gets packed. And it was packed, you know, later on in the night. And there's this guy on a corner uh, right by what used to be Toys R Us. And he's got a bullhorn and he's got this sign, right? This huge sign. And the sign says, you need a savior, you're going to hell. You need a savior. 
You're going to hell. Repent and turn around and follow Jesus. Look, there's not, the, the, what he's saying is true. But people ain't trying to hear that. The Bible says that it is the love of God that, 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 that leads man to repentance. The love of God, not condemnation. And so here we are, containers of the love of God, impacted by the love of God. Here's Jesus as our example. And he sees what nobody else sees. Because he looked at this guy right where he was. And his sermon was, do you want to be made well? It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. We can meet people right where they are. We can impact people. Proverbs 11.30 in the New International Version says this. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Pause. That's you, ladies and gentlemen. Child of God, raise your hand. You're a child of God. You've accepted Jesus. You know, oh, good, we're amongst family. Praise God. Well, guess what? Here's what Scripture says about you. That there's fruit in you, and that fruit is life. It's life. It's life-changing. It'll turn, it turned your life around, and it can turn the life of another around. But watch the second half of the Scripture. It says, and the one who is wise saves lives. You know what the Bible's saying there? The one who is skillful, learned, and prudent, the one who understands the impact that God has made in their life, that man, that woman, that person saves lives. That person saves lives. Think of it this way. You're the lifeguard on duty wherever you go. Wherever you go, you're the lifeguard on duty. You might not feel like it. You might, well, but, but, but what, if, what if they laugh at me? What, what if I don't know what to say? Well, what if you never take a step? You'll never find out what God can do. So you're the lifeguard on duty wherever you go. You carry the wisdom of God within you as a child of God. You know what the solution really is. You know the impact that God has made in your life and that he can make in the lives of others. The question is, will you let those around you drown? Or will you use what you have to take the hand of another? To model this gospel. To use what you believe. Really, ladies and gentlemen. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, Jesus says this. Watch the instructions he gives his disciples. He says, and as you go, preach. Watch the sermon. Saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the sermon. That's the sermon. God has come near. God ain't mad at you. God's not far from you. The kingdom of God is here now. And then watch what he tells them to do. So here's the sermon you preach. The kingdom of God is here. It's, it's at hand. He says, heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. But watch why. Because you received it at no cost. So you should be giving it at no cost. Oh, but I'm too busy. You know, my schedule, you know, I'm just, I'm in a rush. I got to get to my meeting. I've got a conference call that I've got to take. I got to go pick up my kids. That's fine. We all have responsibilities. 
But Jesus stopped in the middle of what he, what he was doing to meet a man where he was at. We can never get so busy, ladies and gentlemen, that it takes somebody to throw a brick at us to get our attention and say, I need your help. This world is crying out. Maybe even in your own household, in your own neighborhood, in your own workplace. And yes, you pray. We pray. But we don't just pray. We do something with this. To impact the world around you does not require that you preach a 45-minute sermon. <laughs> Listen, it means that you testify that God is present to impact, to change, and to help and save people right now. Right now. Most people look at themselves in relation to God according to their condition. Oh, you know, I got to get my life together. You know, I, I, I hear you, man. God loves me, man, but that... That'll come one day because you don't understand my problems. You don't understand my situation. No, what you don't understand is that God is near to you right now. In one of our connect groups, there's a gentleman who, who's new to the faith and everything. We were closing up this past week, our connect group, and he, I thought we were done, and he begins to talk about how his issue is his habits and you know, the things that he continues to do repeatedly that he knows he shouldn't do, but he does them. And, you know, he's, he's trying to work on changing them. And I looked at him and I said to him, who told you that God's asking you to change yourself? That man was practically in tears. God hasn't asked you to change you. You're not the Holy Spirit. God don't need you to change you. God needs you to come into a relationship where you understand how much he loves you. God's not asking us for anything, ladies and gentlemen. You know what God's asking for? Just love me. And then after you know my love, just love people. Just love them. Love them right where they are. Love them in their mess. Have we forgotten that we're the light of the world? Let me tell you something. Lights attract bugs. <laughs> and it's all right. It's all right. Expect that. And, you know, I mean no disrespect towards anyone. I, look, you are the light of the world is what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, a light that is set upon a, on a hill in a city cannot easily be hidden. Stop trying to hide the impact that God would... Be proud of who you are in Christ and step out. Believe that you're the impact. So look, if you're going to impact the world around you, if we're really going to impact the world around us, then we got to expect this gospel to create a change, to actually turn the world upside down. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. In Acts chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 8. But it, let me give you some background here. Paul um, and Silas have been going around preaching the gospel, right? And I believe that at this point, I'm, I could be wrong, but I believe they're in Thessalonica when they show up here. And what happens is basically they show up and, the, and they're preaching the gospel and all this cool stuff is happening. And the Jews, the religious leaders, get wind of the fact that Paul and Silas are now there. 
And so they go where Paul and Silas are. They're hunting them down. They're looking to persecute them. And so watch what happens in verses 6 through 8. It says that they show up at the house of a guy named Jason, and it says, not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. So literally what they did is they put these guys on display before the whole city. And, and, they, and here's what they said. They said, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the kind of Christian you are. That wherever you go, they go, we're in trouble, man. <laughs> these, these guys are here. And it's going to turn our whole world upside down. Listen, we can no longer stand for an excuse that we're supposed to be poor. We're going to start prospering. They had a problem with that. They had a problem with that. I'm going to show you from Scripture. Going back to verse 6. And so they've caused trouble all, all over the world. They shouted is what the Bible says. And now they're here disturbing our city too. Verse 7 says, And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Watch verse 8. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. What is the scripture saying here? These guys were so impacted by the gospel message that wherever they went, they couldn't help themselves but to do something with it. And here's the thing, they expected it to work. The last question you should be asking is, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, guess what? It won't work if you don't work it. Take a step of faith. When you pray for somebody, expect what the Word says. You know, when I pray... I say, Lord, your will is that this person be healed. Your word says that. And so, Lord, I agree with your word. And I declare that your word says over them that by your stripes, they are healed. And so right now, take hold of your healing. Get up, walk, get moving, and see the change that God has for you. And don't forget to come to church on Sunday. Get plugged in. <laughs> no, listen, that was just a joke. But my point is this. We share this gospel credibly when we believe it. And the Bible says that they turned the whole world upside down. Talk about impact. That's the impact that God wants to make through you. Listen, if you're going to impact the world around you, you got to do what no one else is doing. You got to be willing to do that. To do what no one else is willing to do. Watch what 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23 says. This is Paul speaking. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. 
to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. In verse 19, Paul says, I'm a servant to all. Paul didn't compromise this gospel. That's not what he didn't, he didn't, he didn't shift and bend on what he believed. But what he did was he met people where they were. To the Jew, he spoke to them about the law. To the Gentile, he spoke to them on their terms. To the weak, he spoke to them as weak. Listen, I understand where you're at. You don't know my story. I can imagine Paul talking about, I used to persecute people like, like them. I used to persecute people like me. And now here I am. God, I had an experience with God on this road and he changed my life. And I understand what it was to be weak, but now I stand here strong and yet I relate to where you're at. And my hope is that you see that in my example, you're not meant to stay there. Hallelujah. That God can do it in you too. The apostles were no, no more special than you or I today. The only reason we read of their effectiveness to reach the world and turn it around is because they sought the opportunity. Let me say that again. They looked for the opportunity to be used by God. Hey, you're going to leave here today. Some of you are going to leave here and go, man, that was a good sermon. What are we going to eat? Great job, Pastor. That was a great sermon. Cool. I'm glad you found it great. But how do you apply this in your life? Look all around you. And don't just look for the obvious, like the guy that you'll walk by down the street when you're going to the store. Look at the people all around you. You know what I pray? I pray what Paul asked that the people that the church would pray for him. He says, "Pray that we would speak with boldness. That at every opportunity that we would speak the gospel unhindered, powerfully." That's my prayer for you today. That you leave here and that you dare to live this gospel and turn this world around. You know what I dream about? We're in a city of 30,000 people. 60% Hispanic, 39% African American, 11% white, and less than a percent mixed. I dream of a church of 30,000. You know why? Because I believe that we can turn this city around. I believe it. I believe it and can't nobody tell me otherwise. I will go to my deathbed living this gospel. 
because if God's word says it, I can do it. I read something. I want to just read, read this to you. God would never give you the desire to change your community, to impact this world without giving you the power to do it. And there are many of you that you have a burning desire to do something, to touch this world. I want you to know today that God didn't just give you that desire. He's equipped you to carry it out. So go do it. Don't wait. Don't wait for us here at Church at the Bridge to say, hey, guys, we're going to be doing this event for you to now jump on board. You're already on board. Get going, baby. Go do something with the gospel in your workplace, in your household, in your neighborhood, in your community. We're practicing it here, but practice ain't perfect unless you do it. The impact that God wants to make is you. And so what do we do? We impact the world around us now. 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 Not tomorrow. Not when I get my stuff together. Not when I have it when I feel like I've arrived, you'll never get there. <laughs> That'll only happen the moment when Christ comes. But what do we do? We keep going forward. In 1 Corinthians uh, 9, Paul talks about how he presses towards the mark of the high calling. And then he talks about a boxer. And he says, I do not, basically here's what he's saying, I'm paraphrasing. He says, I don't take a swing as if I'm swinging at the air. You know why Paul said that? Because he expected that every time he took a swing with faith that there was an impact that was going to be made. You're the solution right here, right now. You are God's best. You're an ambassador.